Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very pleased to be once again tackling this conversation and question of how can we advance women and minorities in the space of entrepreneurship, business, and certainly the business of publishing. So to further our conversation and add uh, some incredibly amazing insights, I have invited to join us today, Jeffrey Tobias Halter. Jeffrey is a thought leader on strategies that companies need to implement to accelerate their commitment to the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in the workplace. Jeffrey is a gender strategist and the president of Letter Y Women, a strategic consulting company focused on engaging men in women's leadership issues. Why Women focuses on driving actionable business plans to help organizations create integrated women's leadership strategies. He is the former director of diversity strategy for the Coca-Cola company, and he is the author of two books. His most recent work is Why Women? The Leadership Imperative to Advancing Women and Engaging Men. And this book focuses on the challenges and changes corporate America needs to make today to advance women. His first book, Selling to Men, Selling to Women, explored gender communication in the sales process. Jeffrey writes for numerous business publications and is a two-time TEDx speaker. His clients include IBM, Amazon, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and dozens of other Fortune 500 companies. So join me now in welcoming Jeffrey. So Jeffrey, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Robin. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And, you know, as you know, we, we met just a short time ago, but I was uh, so fascinated by your work. And I'm glad you're here today because it has a particular relevance for me, not only because I'm a woman, even though I'm a self-employed woman, I'm still a woman in the workforce. But I think also because I've become very interested in diversity and equity and inclusion within publishing itself, which has been predominantly a white male dominated industry, like so many. But even, you know, an interesting phenomenon with women in publishing is that actually 75% of the workforce in publishing is women, but a much lower percentage of the executive tier is women. And the percentage of people who are getting published is 75% male. So with that little framing, <laughs> I'm really excited Not surprised. to have you here to talk about this. So tell our listeners a little bit about like, what are some of your observations overall with this particular issue? I'm not an expert in the publishing industry. Most of my clients are Fortune 100. So I'll speak to business, but you know, there's a lot of overlap between specific industries, quite frankly, government with what we're going through and the work that I do. And I I think there's really two things. 
One is the fact that I've been doing this work for almost 20 years now, and we've really seen no movement in advancing women. It's actually quite frustrating. You know, we've moved in 2000, about 17 female CEOs to now about 35. So you could say, oh my gosh, you know, that's, we've doubled. It's 100%. No, it's still 35 out of the fortune. 500. And, you know, not 35 out of the fortune 100. No, (laughs) just to be clear. (laughs) uh, And so I've spent the first 20 years of my career in sales. And I always talk to executives about the fact that if advancing women were a revenue line or an earnings per share line, you would have been fired years ago for lack of performance. So one is progress is still exceedingly slow. I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about the fact I think it's going to accelerate. You know, we've seen things saying, oh, you know, it's 200 years to parity. It's 75 years to parity. I've got some thoughts on that that I think are going to accelerate that. I'd be happy to share those. Oh, The other right. thing, and this is really the core of my work, there's not enough men engaged in doing this work still. You know, you've got a phrase that I use that that you've commented on, and it's the fact 75% of leadership is still men. And so I believe that 75% of the problem in advancing women is in fact men, but we are also 75% of the solution. You know, we've been, women have been working, you know, leaning in, doing everything they have to. And the point is that's only going to drive the numbers so far you have to engage men. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote some research from the McKenzie 2021 Women in the Workforce Study. So everything I'm going to quote you is, is basically from that. And we'll talk about that over the time. But realize this is 340 of the largest multinationals in the world. This is a big data sample. Study. I'd encourage your readers, your watchers to download it. Fascinating research. What it says is basically 99 percent of companies are doing unconscious bias training, which isn't working, but only 14% are doing allyship training, which Mm. says we are actively recruiting and engaging allies, i.e. men, to advance women. And so this to me is just mind-boggling. I've been doing this work for 20 years. I've been saying we're 75 to 85% of the problem and still only 14% of companies are doing it. And so, you know, Robin, this is what keeps me going every day. And just to be really, really clear, I'm going to, I use gender as a gateway. So I want to ensure your listeners that when I'm talking about gender, it's through a lens of intersectionality. I'm going to talk later about women of color. I'm going to talk later about gender expressive or transgender and millennials. But I have a very simple belief. I don't think men are ready to have a conversation around gender in the workplace, And quite honestly, as a white man, if I can't talk about that, how do you expect me to talk about race or being a transgendered woman or, you know, being a a millennial? And so I use, I call it gender plus as a gateway. So I just wanted to put your your listeners at ease. I'm not just talking about women. I'm going to, you know, talk about this more significant issues people of color are facing, but I just want to be ultra inclusive in that definition. Right. And, you know, something that really continues to stand out for me is that really until I met you, you know, I've always looked at this the way I've been trained to, which is like, what can women do? 
what could we do to help ourselves advance? And, you know, it begs the question, like, why? (laughs) I mean, I I guess maybe the point isn't why haven't we been asking what men can do? But I think that that's worth pointing out that we haven't even really necessarily been, been asking how men might need to change or what men could do to help advance women. Yeah. And it even goes broader than that. You know, what I would tell you is it's corporate culture. You know, the, the companies that are doing well in this work, Marriott, J&J, Deloitte, Salesforce, they've been at this for 20 years, very mindfully pushing the rock to the point that they've got very good numbers. I think what happens too many times is company culture gets in the way. And I'm going to give you a couple reasons around why we're sitting here today. I worked, there was a company in 2008 that won the Catalyst Award, the highest award companies can win for advancing women, because they made a statement that said, we're going to put women in 50% of operating roles by 2020. Okay, we know women migrate to staff roles. The key to the C-suite is operating roles and P&Ls. Great. Here's the Catalyst Award. They didn't accomplish anything, but they took 100 women and they trained them and they taught them, and they coached them, and they mentored them. They didn't do a single element of training men, which I was consulting with them at the time, and they didn't buy into my proposal. But here's what happened. These 100 women over the course of the next 12 years, one by one, failed to get ahead. It was just one thing or another, mostly driven by the business, right? We've got high potential women. Oh my gosh, we restructured. They lost their sponsor, the new king. And as usually a king gets to bring in his fiefdom. So we probably lost 30% of the women to restructure. We lost some more to reorg, sold off a division. Well, you know what? You just lost six of those high potential women in that business you spun off. And then their phones ring. You know, they're sitting at a SVP level. And I'm really pleased to say that probably 20 of these women are sitting in the C-suite, but they're at another company. And so 12 years later, this company has five women from that class of 100 in 12 years that actually made the C-level, not in operating roles, but in significant staff roles. Wow. And so these are the stories we don't talk about, right? It's the stuff that gets in the way. I spend my time talking to senior leaders, and there isn't a one that will say, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, it's a top priority. You know, it's number three on our list. But, but number one, got to sell more stuff. Got to drive that top line. Number two is operating profit. Got to return that to share owners. <laughs> and they spend all their time on one and two, and they never get to three. They never get to it, right? They never it's get to list. it. It's on the and list. And no one will argue it's not the right thing. <laughs> and the numbers are overwhelming. You know, the companies that have more women in in the C-suite, you know, more revenue from women generate better business results. Again, McKenzie Report. The business case has been made. What's lacking? Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. And then we get into the board level. You know, there's just not enough women on board. If the board is, in fact, watching what the CEO is doing, there's been some progress. BlackRock, the big uh, mutual fund company, has actually sent a letter to their companies And this is fascinating. So as a good example, the California Teachers Union, you know, has a huge investment fund. Both of them want complete transparency of numbers. Both of them want parity in the boardroom. And so if we're going to buy you as an investment, 
well, you know what? You really need to step up. So wow. progress is being made, but it's it's really slow and coming. But even that is probably like that kind of pressure is still driven by women, right? Because I mean, oh, to a large degree, teachers are generally it's you know that's a female dominated profession. Although I would imagine also we're probably going to see a similar disparity in those upper tier. Yeah, I would say it's being driven by women. It's also being driven by really enlightened senior leaders. You know, there are amazing companies out there. You know, the, the CEO of Salesforce, I, I forget his name, published gender equity. Here is what everybody's going to get paid. And this is how things are going to work. You know, I work with a number of companies that have been at this for a long time. Their CEOs are committed. Oh, by the way, they have 35 to 40% of women in operating roles and in their C-suite. So 20 to 40 companies are doing this really well. It mm. still leaves, you know, over 900 <laughs> plus all the little guys. You who, won't ever run out of work, Jeffrey. No, I've got a lot of work. I've got a lot of work. And I, <laughs> and I have two new granddaughters. One's three and one's, wow. one's one. And it's just like, oh, no, I'm working for them now. Maybe yeah. they'll get gender parity. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. So I'm curious, like what, so when you talk about company culture being in the way, it's interesting, like what, what does it take to change company culture then? It takes a number of issues. One is what I call an an end-to-end business strategy. And this is everything from, let's call it consumer or customer, all the way through to complete accountability and transparency. And so most companies have a number of programs that may or may not connect to drive the business. I spend a lot of time with business resource group leaders, you know, just phenomenal volunteers. But Robin, think about this. So you're the head of a business resource group, and I'm going to give you $20,000 and say, I want you to, you know, you and your volunteers really need to move the agenda forward for, for all women in the company. Are you kidding me? And yet that and that's what's happening, right? So the best in class companies understand who the customer and consumer is. And the fact that women consume 83%, spend 83% of all the dollars in B to C. That's everything that you can imagine. Groceries, clothing. Oh, by the way, women buy or influence 70% of car purchases. This is a fascinating one, that buyer influence. Women buy or influence 70% of home purchases. Oh, So this influencing role is really (laughs) critical. Well, do your, does your sales force, in fact, know this? And then if you're in technology, there's a great quote from the McKinsey study, and that is you just can't show up with a bunch of 42 longs and expect to be successful because women are sitting on the procurement desk in 45% of companies. So you can't just show up with men. Mm. So that's kind of the big, we'll call that the revenue piece. Mm-hmm. And then there's organizational barriers. And these exist to some degree in most companies. It's a lack of training. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of accountability. We know women get less support from their managers. We know women experience more microaggressions on a daily basis than men do. Women are left behind from their very first job. Again, the McKenzie report, for every 100 men promoted in their first job, 86 women, 66 people of color. And Robin, you think about this, 
who thinks about that lowest first level? Oh, by the way, those are the managers who have gotten no training in how to do unconscious bias interviewing. You know, chances are they're team leader and they're promoting their friends or just like them. Right. So complete lack of accountability, Mm -hmm. lack of sponsorship. Again, this from the McKenzie report, I find this just jaw dropping. 60% of self-proclaimed advocates for advancing people of color. So these are people who are saying they are advocates. Wow. Less than 20% of them will talk to them about a racial issue in either the news or the workplace. And less than 10% of them mentor or sponsor a person of color. So all these things conspire. What are it's they not doing? one thing. It's what not one doing? thing. That's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then the last element is a complete lack of accountability. You know, if my boss never talks about it, if it doesn't affect my paycheck, why should I care? And then, you know, the last barrier that is unspoken is fear. You know, most men are scared to death to have this conversation. Oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to talk to Robin. Gosh, can I say, wow, I love your necklace. Oh gosh, can I open her door? Can we go to lunch together? You know, all the me too stuff. And I've heard companies, huh. you know, say, no, you can't travel with women. You can't, you know, be alone in the room with a woman. And this is a complete load of crap. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just abandoning your company values. Every company, when you walk in their front doors, have these values on the wall, right? They're usually dust covered. If right. we're living those values, a woman should not have to worry about how she is treated. And so this is where leadership needs to step up and do its job, which is talk about this and hold people accountable. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, that's so interesting because like the women being left out of those things right, then hinders their ability to advance. Absolutely. That's when things really get done. And now you've got, you know, the impact of COVID, which is just crippling the advancement of women. You know, there's speculation that women have lost 10 years of advancement and progress that's been made. COVID took, you know, a million more women out of the workforce. They haven't recovered as quickly. They haven't come back. Women are absolutely burned out from the triple double. Again, the McKenzie report, fascinating stuff. It says men say they have stepped up. 71% of men say they have stepped up to do more at home. 52% of women say men have stepped up. <laughs> do more. And, and so I'm saying men have stepped up. I believe men well, have stepped up. They're okay. just not stepping up enough. No, but, you know, putting the toilet seat down an extra time every month is not the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not what most women have so, in mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I tell people in a, in a lot of my keynotes, particularly women in business, I say, look, every year you do a performance review with your team. Why don't you go home and give your significant other a performance review around their performance supporting you during COVID? How many five-star performers are really out there? And what are the areas of opportunity? And we joke about this, but it's true. Women are burned out. They feel they're letting their families down. They're letting their spouses down. They're letting their teams down. They don't think they're a good enough boss. They're letting their company down. And now 18 months into this, they're just wiped out and just saying, you know what? I need to scale back. A third of the women in the workforce today are thinking about scaling back, going to part-time. And so all this hard-won progress is being Mm. lost. So I would imagine that's also going issue. to be rather expensive for companies. 
I think that's where women are going to win, actually. So you've got COVID, you've got companies struggling. Today, there are 11 million job openings in this country. There's 2 million jobs on LinkedIn today. 11 million jobs need to be filled. And so smart companies are doing whatever they can. Robin, if you can give me part-time, you know, if you can work this, hey, let's work with you. And it's not because they're nice companies. There's no workers. No workers. I was talking to a a senior chemist. I do work with a big pharma company. And he said, you know, Jeff, we're about solving uh, curing cancer. I wake up every day curing cancer. Cancer has affected me personally. If I had a workforce that could work 24-7, that is exactly what I want. But you know what? I have 15 job openings right now for organic chemists. And if I don't show flexibility, if I don't meet you where you are tomorrow, I'm going to have 18 openings for organic chemists. And, you know, I think it's a lot like Silicon Valley there up in, you know, the Northeast. He said, there's 80 biotech companies that are calling my best and brightest every day. And so this is the real world. Your best and brightest are getting calls. And if you don't think they're going to leave, you're mistaken. And so this is actually where I think women will start to advance. There's a phenomenon going on that no one's talking about. Why do we have 11 million jobs? Well, the economy has expanded. But for 15 years, 3 million boomers a year have been leaving the workforce. Every day, 10,000 boomers, old white men like me, basically, (laughs) leave the workforce. And the new entries into the workforce, there's only about 800,000 people replacing the 3 million leaving. Wow. And that 800,000 may not have the skill set needed to come into your company. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the war for talent gets really interesting, where companies are figuring out, I need everybody. I need all hands. And I think there's never been a, a better time for companies who want to drive change. And they're going to have to promote women and millennials because there's just not enough white guys around. <laughs> there's you not know? enough old white guys. And so if you want a workforce, and oh, by the way, Gen Z is bringing a whole new dimension into the workforce. Here's another great resource. Um, Deloitte actually publishes their employee, it's called a transparency report, and is the ages of all their employees. Everybody thinks Gen Z are kids. No, you know, they're about 24 right now, and they're sitting in 50% of the entry roles at Deloitte, public domain data. And if you don't think Gen Z is shaking things up, (laughs) more so than millennials, you're kidding yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you've got these generational classes, you've got multiculturalism, mm-hmm. you've got the last point I would talk about is something we just never stressed for the 20 years I was in leadership development, and that is empathy as a leadership competency. Mm. And what do I mean by that? You know, Robin, I don't say this with pride, but there was a point in my time with my career I had an admin for almost two and a half years. I didn't even know her husband's name or her children's name. We were just busy. It was just business. You know, I was a remote worker. We talked on the phone, but never went that far. Today, I have to take time. I have to call Robin on Monday, who's on my team. Say, just how are you doing? What can I do 
to make your life a little easier. You know, is, is, the, is our frequency working? What's going on in your life? Because you know what? Everyone has a sick parent, sick child, spouse, stress. I was doing a panel for a uh, big tech company, and it was during Asian Heritage Month. And this was also the time there was Asian hate crimes out in the news. And this woman, SVP, very accomplished uh, from Korea, was asked the question, you know, what's going on in your life? What's, what's really concerning you nowadays? She said, I love this company. This company supports me. For the first time in my life, I'm worried about my children going to school. And you hear this story. And it's like, as a leader, how can you not say, how can I support you? What can we do? What can the company do? And you know what? That's how you build loyalty. That's how, that's how you embrace this. And by and large, not to say that empathy is a gendered term, but you know, most people would acknowledge women are better in empathy than men. I think empathy is actually the next leadership competency that mm-hmm. successful companies are going to implement. And it's as simple as, how are you doing, Robin? What's going on in your life? How can I make your life easier? You know, is the three o'clock staff meeting working? When do you drop your kids off? What's going on with that? And it takes 15 minutes a week per person, you know, mm-hmm. and it's going to drive tremendous retention. And then the last part, the boomers are going away. For a hundred years, lack of DNI has been an old white guy issue. Well, you know what? The old white guys are all gone soon. Four years were gone. You know what? This is now a young white man's issue. Right. And I know you're based in Silicon Valley or San Francisco. Well, no, I'm based in Connecticut. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. I thought you were in the Bay Area. Well, we met that's in we met. the Bay Area. So that's, okay. yes, that okay. was the context. Yes. Got My it. mother lives in that area. So that's, that's probably what it is. Okay. But here's the challenge. You know, most tech companies are run by young white men who have not demonstrated the capacity that they know how to leverage diversity any differently than their fathers. Yes, I've noticed that too. Yes. I and have so noticed is, that as well. Yeah. And so, so we to, created I'm this. I'm scratching my head trying to figure out, like, weren't the boomers also that whole, like, hippie, free love, like, oh, that's, love that's one a whole another. Other, like, that's a whole other so, Like, there's something that gets lost in translation, right? As soon yeah. as they get a car payment and a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The 80s, I'm a flower child of the 60s. The 80s ruined the, right? the free love people. I was thinking, like, how, did, how did we go from like peace, <laughs> love and understanding to, you know, the 30 something yuppie, you know? Yep. Yeah. Interesting. So I mean, anyways, that is, concerns so, me. I mean, but it does, it concerns me too, right? Because it's like, is it really going to change or are they just going to fall into the same pattern that their fathers fell into or their grandfathers fell into? I would like that they are more, it's still a locker room frat boy culture by and large. Oh, by the way, there are women who fit in that culture nicely. And so I think to a large degree, millennial men value your skill set over your gender. And so the women who have that skill set will thrive and do quite well. I don't know where they're going to get enough workers. You know, this 11 million job openings. Well, it ranges from everything today there are 800,000 job openings in cybersecurity, and the average starting salary is $125,000. And you don't even need a degree, you need a certificate. <laughs> so all these IT people in your company you take for granted, yeah, they're going to leave that $35,000 a year job and go into cybersecurity. 
Yeah. We need 200,000 truck drivers. No one's talking about this. You want to know why supply chain's broken? It's not just the ships and the harbor. Can't There's get no long haul truckers. They're all retiring. And millennials don't want to drive truck. A truck. No. You know, building. We have a plumbing shortage. We have a worker shortage. We have an electrical shortage. Tell me about it, Jeffrey. I bought a house six (laughs) months ago and I'm still waiting for my backup generator. Yep. And then, you know, what was the last time you went to a restaurant and had just reasonable service? Well, there is not an element in this economy that's not being, you know, untouched by this 11 million people. And companies got to rethink this whole talent thing because eventually technology may get your order faster at Wendy's, but you know, it's not going to be an electrician showing up at your house. You know, we still need those. And oh, by the way, millennials by and large aren't going to tech school. So what are we going to do? Well, we could could invite some immigrants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's the other thing. And that's a whole nother story. Uh, you can come and get your PhD, but after what are the jobs that they're stealing anyway? (laughs) Apparently we have more than enough jobs. I don't know. You know, that's a whole nother hour in a glass of wine. I know. I was going to say that probably that conversation requires a glass of wine as well as more time. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, when you talk to white, let's circle back to like when you're having a conversation with a white male executive, are you getting pushback? Are you getting What's going on in that conversation? Yeah, it's really fascinating because, you know, the the folks I'm talking to are, they have that as priority number three, right? And so they more or less, the majority of them in the room have a simple question. What do you want me to do? Mm. What do you want me to do? Okay, you've convinced me. What do you want me to do? And so I have a very simple acronym and, and I'll explain each of these. It's called listen, learn, lead, and have the will. So listen, I want you to go have coffee with 10 women and 10 people of color who work for you. And I want you to ask them a simple question. Tell me about the experience you're having in the workforce. And oh, by the way, don't be surprised when Molly doesn't say anything because Molly doesn't want to represent all women in the company. And then ask again, Molly, is there something I'm not understanding? Don't interrupt her. You know, when she raises an issue, don't mansplain back to her. Just listen and then ask a third time. And in that last 10 minutes, you're going to start to hear root cause issues of microaggressions, of gender bias in the workforce, things that might seem really minor to you. They were a really big deal to Molly. And then rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Go and talk to as many people as you can. If you're at a very high level, do focus groups ask people what's going on. So that's the listen element. The learn part is you have to be able to talk to your organization about the business case, about talent, and you have to push it down as far as you can. And so what is the business case for your company? How does it affect customers, consumers, talent? You know, IKEA has a very informal program. Every department level manager has to write a diversity plan for their department. And so they go and sit down with their district manager in their cafeteria and eat meatballs. And on a simple white sheet of paper, they write down the five things that they're going to do for the year. I'm going to make sure I interview diverse candidates. I'm going to make sure I'm training people to be ready to go. So how do you learn? How do you start to talk about this? How do you start to talk about the dynamics of of issues people of color are having 
or that what does gender non-binary even mean? And you become conversational on this. So that's the learn part. The lead part is you got to hold people accountable. And this gets a bad rap sometimes. You have to set goals. You have to set targets. And that says we are going to move to women in 50% of roles in the next three years. Now, I'm not saying go out and hire women. It is not a pass on capability. Gallo is one of my clients. They have a great comment. They said, we would not use bad grapes to make great wine. Right. <laughs> and so every time a woman gets promoted, the company thinks, oh, she didn't deserve that job. You got to trust your company that they have quality control. And oh, by the way, rarely have we ever said, oh, he got that job because he's a man. Right. Even right? though that's a lot more likely. Yeah. Even though it's a lot more likely. And then one, <laughs> the other one, and, and this is you know a little controversial, I have heard women say, I wouldn't want that job if the only reason I got it was a woman. Yeah. Said no man ever. Right. <laughs> Give me the job. Even if I'm incapable, I'll fake it right. till I make it. Sure. You know what? If you get offered an opportunity, go in and prove them wrong. Yeah. You know, so that's the lead thing. You got to hold people accountable. And at the very top, you got to say, hey, Jim, I don't see any diverse candidates on your development slate. What's going on with that? You got a, you got a job opening in the Eastern region for a director job. And, and the, you got three of your buddies posted here. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And Jim will probably say something to the effect of, well, you know, we just don't have any ready. And so many times a senior leader will go, yeah, I understand. Instead of doing their job, which is Jim, you better get some ready. Or I'm going to put somebody in your job who can get somebody ready. <laughs> So do what leaders do, ask tough questions, hold people accountable. And then the last one is have the will. And I call this the head and the heart, right? Those first three, listen, learn, lead, are around the head, right? The business, et cetera. Having the will means how do you become an advocate? How do you become visible, vocal? How do you talk about advancing women when there aren't any in the room? I have found the will comes from personal connection. To be an advocate for anything. It's very hard if you don't have a direct connection, you know, whether that's a nonprofit, whether that's, you know, maybe a disease that took a family member. And so in this space, what I find is most men, and I put myself at the center of this because this came to me very late in life. I didn't make the connection that if I'm not advocating for women today, I'm hurting my spouse, I'm hurting my working mother, I'm hurting my sisters. And I'm hurting my daughter because my daughter is going to enter the workforce and be faced with the same bias that I know exists. That's all over my organization. She's going to make 83 cents to my son. And so the will comes from having that compass, that do north. Why are you doing this work? And so I have an initiative called the Father of Daughter Initiative. I believe men have an absolute responsibility to do this work. And it sounds kind of simple. This simple pledge is really groundbreaking to a lot of men. And it's because they never thought about it. I did a keynote for a large company. This guy came up. He said, I'm the VP of sales. I have five regions. I have uh, men running five of them. And I have five daughters. And I can't tell you how embarrassed I am. And I am going to go out and change this because I never thought about it. It was like this epiphany. Wow. (laughs) And so... That's the will part. 
And so I've got a bunch of free stuff on my website. One is the father and daughter pledge. One is an advocating for women pledge. One is a broader actions for advocates uh, that is encompassing of uh, gender plus people of color, ageism. And so the men I find who are doing this work really well have made that simple connection and it drives them to do this work. And we just need to create more of them. That's wonderful. I love it. And I'm thinking of your granddaughters now (laughs) as you're speaking as well. So Jeffrey, thank you so much. This has been so informative and enlightening. And I so appreciate your taking the time to be here. Where can our listeners go to get some of these free goodies from you? Yeah. So if you go to my website, www.y, the letter Y, women, W-O-M-E-N dot biz, B-I-Z, there are a number of free tools. I said, I want you to learn. You can download almost a hundred white papers any one of them can be a staff meeting, download it, share it at your staff meeting and just talk about it. I have a free online assessment called the Male Advocate Profile. And so it's 20 questions. The first 10 are around how you think about gender equity and the next 10 around the actions you choose to take. There's also a version for women and gender nonconforming because even women think about gender equity more than actually taking action. And then the last thing I've got is a free staff meeting in a box called Creating Gender Advocates. You can download it. It's an hour-long staff meeting, self-facilitated. I'm at this point in my career where I give away a lot of my stuff because I just want to go out and drive change for the men and women in my life. So Robin, uh, so thank you for asking. Oh, thank you so much. These all sound fantastic. I'm thinking of lots of people. I'm like, oh, I got to make sure to tell them about this. So, uh, Jeffrey, once again, thank you for being on the Author's Corner. My pleasure. Thank you, Robin. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.